0: Hello everyone and welcome to the August 23rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal issued a published opinion in the controversial Almarez-Guzman case. For the most part, the WorkComp community believes that the September N-Bank decision of the WCAB was unchanged. The primary issue in this dispute is whether Labor Code Section 4660 permits a deviation from a strict application of the AMA Guides. Employers and interested parties argued unsuccessfully that the Guides must be used as written in order for the PDRS to promote consistency, uniformity, and objectivity. They argued that the board's Almarez-Guzman decision defeats that objective by allowing impairment ratings to be based on chapters that do not apply to the employee's injury. The insurance commissioner argued that savings from SB 899 will be lost with the current decision. The Court of Appeal rejected these arguments and held that Labor Code Section 4660 recognizes the variety and unpredictability of medical situations. A mechanical application of the guides without regard to how accurately and completely they reflect the actual impairment sustained by the patient would be incorrect. The court said that the physician should be free to acknowledge his or her reliance on standard texts or recent research data as a basis for his or her medical conclusions and the WCJ should be permitted to hear that evidence. This language allowing the physician to refer to standard texts may go beyond the WCAB decision that limits the physician to the four corners of the guides. It will no doubt be argued by some that the Court of Appeal opened the door for physicians to use texts outside the four corners of the guides. The companion Almarez case is still pending in the 5th District Court of Appeal. Indeed, Either or both cases may end up in the California Supreme Court. Thus, it is premature to make any final decision on how this controversial dispute will end. The 2nd District Court of Appeal republished their decision in Alvarez v. WCAB and the state fund after granting a rehearing of the opinion they published on May 14. The court again strictly construed the labor code restrictions against ex-party communications with a QME, but after rehearing the court appears to have allowed some flexibility to the remedy for violating their strict construction. In this case a panel QME called an attorney for the state fund and spoke to her for less than one minute to request copies of medical records that the parties had asked him to review the fund attorney notified the applicant's attorney that she had received this phone call. The applicant's attorney used this ex-party contact with the QME as a basis for a request for a new panel. The work comp judge, however, refused to order a new panel. In the report on reconsideration, the judge stated that if every ex-party communication with a PQME violated section 4062.3, Administrative matters, such as scheduling appointments, would be very difficult. The WCGA explained that ex-party communications are not prohibited or improper when they involved only administrative or procedural matters and not the merits of the case. The WCAB agreed with the trial judge and denied a petition for reconsideration. The Court of Appeal, however, reversed the WCAB. In the original May decision, the Court of Appeal reasoned that neither the WCJ nor the WCAB may draft exceptions to a clear statutory prohibition against ex-party communication. The court in May concluded that Alvarez was entitled to a new panel qualified medical evaluator. After a rehearing, The Court of Appeals softened this position somewhat in their new opinion published this month. The decision after rehearing continues to expressly prohibit ex-party communications with a panel QME. The court this time, however, went on to say that because a certain degree of informality in workers' compensation procedures has been recognized, Not every conceivable ex-party communication permits a party to obtain a new evaluation from another PQME. An ex-party communication may be so insignificant and inconsequential that any resulting repercussion would be unreasonable. A certain amount of informality is anticipated in workers' compensation proceedings, they added. With respect to this case, The phone call from the QME might be so inconsequential so as not to be covered by section 4062.3. So instead of ordering a new panel, the court remanded the matter back to the WCAB to decide what remedy, if any, to apply. It would seem that the decision after rehearing allows more flexibility to the WCAB than the earlier May decision. A new panel WCAB decision held that a payment to the worker to attend a QME appointment does not start the 104-week limit on TTD. Here's what happened in the case of Salim Najjar versus Meeks Building Center and Zurich American Insurance Company. Applicant sustained an industrial cumulative trauma injury to his low back, neck, and left shoulder. He was paid one day's temporary total disability to obtain attend a september 2007 qme appointment at some point in 2009 applicant was determined to be temporarily disabled and defendant began paying him temporary disability benefits defendant ceased paying temporary disability on september 8 based upon the 104 week limitation period of Labor Code section 4656C1. Applicant then sought an expedited hearing on the issue of his entitlement to continuing temporary disability benefits. The WCJ found applicant's receipt of a payment of $64.71 on September 11, 2007 to attend a medical examination constituted the payment of temporary disability and triggered the beginning of the 104-week limitation. Applicant petitioned for reconsideration, contesting the WCJ's legal conclusion. The WCAB agreed with applicant and reversed the trial judge. The payment made for attending a QME examination did not constitute the payment of temporary disability and therefore did not trigger the commencement of the 104-week limitation. They reasoned that applicant was not temporarily disabled and was paid a single check to compensate his wage loss so he could attend the exam. His period of actual temporary disability for which defendant initiated regular payments apparently did not begin for several years. Accordingly, the WCAB granted reconsideration, rescinded the WCJ's decision, and returned the matter to the trial level for a redetermination of the date on which temporary disability indemnity was first paid. Farmers Insurance has called Southern California their home since its founding in 1928. They just announced that they will move employees from the Simi Valley office to a more modern facility in nearby Woodland Hills in California's San Fernando Valley. Farmers Insurance has occupied the Simi Valley facility since 1982. The move will involve nearly 1,200 people or 20% of its greater Los Angeles workforce. Farmers Insurance has more than 6,000 employees and agents in the Los Angeles area. The Woodland Hills facility is already home to some Farmers employees and the building currently is branded 21st Century Insurance Company. 21st Century Insurance Company was acquired by Farmers in July 2009. The name on the building will soon be changed to Farmers Insurance. And now our Fraud Report. An explanation of benefits commonly referred to as an EOB form is a statement sent by a health insurance company to a patient explaining what medical bills were paid. Insurers are trying to achieve many goals with the EOB, one of which is the prevention of medical fraud in the event a medical provider bills a payer for services that were never performed, the EOB will alert the patient about the payment and provide an opportunity for the patient to call the carrier and indicate that the treatment listed on the EOB form never happened. Despite endorsement by industry pundits, use of an EOB form in workers compensation claims is not widespread. SB 156 was introduced in the California Legislature last year. It would have required the use of an EOB in workers' compensation claims. The bill was withdrawn after criticism was voiced by some carriers that it was an unnecessary administrative burden. Nonetheless, some industry professionals believe that the EOB is still a good idea. John Riggs, the manager of workers' compensation at the Walt Disney Company and others, voluntarily started using an EOB form as part of the claim process in early 2010. Retired Workers' Compensation Judge David O'Brien has been one of the leading advocates of the EOB form, along with Laura Clifford, Executive Director of the Employers' Fraud Task Force. Both of them traveled to Orlando, Florida last week to meet up with Stephen Piper, Director of Investigative Services for Travelers Insurance. The panel of three spoke on the EOB topic at the 65th Annual Workers' Compensation Educational Conference held at the Orlando World Center. This conference has about 8,000 attendees this year. The panel was joined by Dennis J., Executive Director of the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud in Washington, D.C., who served as panel moderator. Mr. Piper announced that the Travelers Insurance Company has decided to provide an EOB notice for medical treatment in all workers' compensation claims nationwide. This decision by Travelers comes after a study demonstrated that the EOB notice was an effective anti-fraud tool. Travelers now becomes the first major insurance carrier to inaugurate an EOB notice nationwide. And in regulatory news, the DWC has posted new tools on its website to help those filing optical character recognition, also known as OCR forms, in the electronic adjudication management system. The new tools include a 10-minute video tutorial explaining how to use OCR forms. It also includes new detailed samples of forms and how to set up files for submission including cover sheets and document separator sheets. It includes checklists that show what needs to be filed by whom and in what order. Although similar tools were posted when EAMS was first introduced in August 2008, the new tools reflect updates in the filing process and offer much more detail. Also in regulatory news, California employers must begin distributing an updated version of the workers' compensation new hire pamphlet to all employees hired on and after October 8. They must also post revised workers' compensation employee notices, provide an updated version of the DWC-1 notice of potential eligibility to injured workers, and post new MPN notices if they use an MPN. Insured and self-insured employers are subject to the posting notice and pamphlet requirements, and failure to provide current information to employees can lead to loss of medical control and civil penalties of up to $7,000 for each violation. The latest amendments to the notice regulations require additional information on MPNs, eliminate references to vocational rehabilitation, revise the state's website references, and make other changes intended to streamline the forms. Because of the short time frame for implementation, the industry must quickly prepare for these new requirements. The CWCI updated its pamphlets and posting notices to reflect the latest changes and submitted the revised drafts to the DWC for approval. Once the state approves those drafts, CWCI will translate the pamphlets and posting notice into Spanish, print the materials and distribute them to customers with shipment expected by mid-September. And in financial news, the ongoing recession has hit workers' compensation carriers hard, causing nearly a quarter of the market's premiums to evaporate and cutting profitability by as much as 50% in the past two years. According to Robert Hartwig, president of the Insurance Information Institute, profitability in workers' compensation is heading downhill rather rapidly. Mr. Hartwig and two fellow panelists reported on the State of the Market this week as part of the National Trends Program put on annually by National Underwriter as part of the Workers' Compensation Educational Conference. The demand for workers' comp coverage has dropped dramatically as unemployment has soared over the past two years. The recession caused the largest impact on workers' compensation exposure in 60 years. Indeed, Jeff Ettinger, a senior actuary for NCCI, reported that in the last two years, workers' compensation has lost 23% of its premium. He claims, however, that the dramatic drop in comp premiums is not all due to the recession. Continuing declines in accident frequency and a competitive market have also driven prices down. And in medical news, the Eli Lilly antidepressant Cymbalta should soon be approved by the FDA to help ease chronic pain. A U.S. Food and Drug Administration panel of outside advisors voted 8 to 5 to approve its use for back pain. But by a 4 to 9 vote, they found there was not enough data to support its use to treat osteoarthritis. The drug maker is seeking US approval to more widely market Cymbalta, which is already cleared to treat depression, anxiety, diabetes-related pain, and fibromyalgia. Eli Lilly told the FDA's panelists that Cymbalta offered another option for the more than 50 million Americans who suffer from chronic pain. No new safety problems have been found and other painkillers such as opioids and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs also have risks such as abuse and heart problems. Panelists agreed to a certain extent and said Cymbalta would help give certain pain patients additional options. FDA data shows that Cymbalta is already heavily used off-label for various conditions such as musculoskeletal conditions, headaches, and nerve pain. Cells of the drug have grown threefold to 14.7 million prescriptions in 2009, up from 5 million prescriptions in 2005. Analysts expect the antidepressant to see 3.4 billion dollars in worldwide sales in 2010 and $3.7 billion in 2011. Cymbalta loses its U.S. patent protection in mid-2013 and will then be open to generic drug competition. The FDA will weigh the advisory panel's recommendation before making its final approval decision. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPod, or iPad by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Karen, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Please check our website again next week for more news.